Welcome to the Faith Dialogue Podcast with your host, Pastor Ken Baer. Are you ready to swim in the deep end of the Bible pool or climb to the top of Faith Mountain? If so, open the eyes that see, those ears that hear, and a heart that is receptive. Get your cup of coffee and your Bible as we begin. Welcome back. We are in a sermon series called Unstoppable, based on the, Old T- the New Testament book of Acts of the Apostles. We're continuing in chapter 13 today. Uh, the context of today's message is what's called Paul's first missionary journey. He actually went with uh, Barnabas on that first journey. This first journey started around 45 AD as Paul was sent by the church at Antioch. As Paul and Barnabas were sent, okay, the Greek word there is apostolos. And apostolos sounds a lot like apostles, and that's exactly the same root word. They were sent ones from the church in Antioch. So we're embarking on uh, the first missionary journey of Paul, and we'll actually be looking at uh, his long, his first and his longest sermon today. Um, and I want to talk a little bit about this idea of, of being sent or being on a mission. Uh, a good starting point to this idea of being sent is to take a look at the life and the ministry of Jesus Christ. The scriptures tell us actually that God, the Father, sent Jesus to us as well. It's the same way actually that the church sent uh, Paul and Barnabas. Galatians chapter 4 verse 5 says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we may receive adoption as sons. When when someone um, is sent by God, on a mission, notice there's there's three components, and we just mentioned them in the book of Galatians, three components to, to being sent. The first is the qualifications of the person that's being sent. The second is who that person or persons are being sent to. And the third is probably the most important, it's the objective of the mission. In this first in this verse from the epistle uh, to the Galatians, it says that Jesus was sent by God and that Jesus was the Son of God, born of a woman and born under the law. Being born of a woman not only made Jesus human, it also meant that he was able to to relate to us. He was he was flesh and bone. He was able to relate to the people of Judea and Israel and Samaria. He was born in Bethlehem. Uh, that makes him a, a Jew. He was part of a Jewish family. He spoke Hebrew and that allowed him again to to relate to the people that he was sent to. You know, here in Orlando, we have we have two great missionary organizations. One of them is, is called Crew, formerly known as Campus Crusade for Christ. And the other is Wycliffe Bible Associates or Wycliffe Bible Translators. Now, I, I've worked in the past with, with both of these organizations and some of the leaders of these organizations, and they're stellar. Uh, they're an amazing organization, true heart and commitment to God and to the mission that they're on. I know by, from, uh, from talking with them that one of the most important things that they train their people, they train their missionaries, they train their sent ones, is they train them regarding the culture, the language and customs of the people that they're being sent to. And this is key. This is the way that the people that are being sent are able to relate to the people that they're being sent to. 
Uh, on a mission, it's always important to be able to relate to the people. Often, our mission, your mission and my mission, begins with our own people, our own family, our own, our own neighborhood, uh, the place that, that we live. Now, the second key point is, is or second key ingredient of being sent is, it says that this passage of scripture tells us that every person being sent by God on a mission is sent to a particular people, a particular people. The verse tells us that Jesus was initially sent to, the, to redeem those that were under the law. But then it says that it gives us the ability as well um, to be able to, uh, to be grafted in, to be adopted as, as sons. Uh, the, see, the, Jesus was sent to the people of Israel. He actually had very little contact uh, with the Gentiles. There would be a people later that would be specifically called to go to the Gentiles and we're starting to see this specifically with Paul and Barnabas as they're being sent to Gentile lands where the people are speaking speaking Greek and not Hebrew. Now the third, we said that the third component of a, of a mission um, is the most important. It's the, the objective. So the question is, what are you trying to do? What's, what is the mission regarding? What are you trying to, to accomplish? In the scripture uh, in Galatians 4, Jesus was said to have been sent so that we may be able to be received as uh, adopted sons. And that's exactly what, what Jesus accomplished. He provided a way for us. Jew and Gentile, male and female, slave and free, rich and poor, all to be adopted as sons and daughters. We are brought into the kingdom as king, kingdom kids. So here's the thing, and we'll be focusing today on Paul and Barnabas, but all of us, all of us have a mission. Jesus revealed that to us when he said, as the Father has sent me, I am now sending you. That's out of John chapter 20, verse 21. And then later he said, just before he, he uh, ascended into heaven, he said, all authority, on heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you, and surely I will be with you even until the very end of the age. So this is the way that Paul and Barnabas were sent. Now, they were full-time missionaries. They were full-time sent ones. They were uniquely designed and prepared to take the gospel to the Greek-speaking world, people that had not yet heard the name of Jesus. The scriptures tell us that Paul was sent to the Gentiles, while Peter was sent to the Jews. As I said, we're all, however, on a mission. We also have these three components. We are the believers. That's our qualifications. We're sent to the nations. That's the people group that we're sent to. And we're make disciples. That's our, that's our objective. Now, when the scriptures talks about being sent to the nations, the word there is the word ethnos, the same word that we get the English word um, ethnic or ethnicities. Uh, our, perhaps our mission your mission is to your own people, your own family, your neighborhood, your, your school, to share the gospel to them that they may become also adopted sons and daughters of God. That's our mission. So let's get started with our scripture today. We're going to be reading from uh, chapter 13 of the book of Acts, beginning in verse 13. Now when Paul and his party set sail from Paphos, they came to Perga and Pamphylia, and John, departing from them, returned to Jerusalem. 
But when they departed from Perga, they came to Antioch and Pisidia, and went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and sat down. So Paul and Barnabas are at the very beginning of their, their mission, their missionary journey. And after leaving the boat, they reach Perga and Pamphylia. This is an ancient city in modern-day Turkey. The scriptures tell us that John Mark leaves them and returns to Jerusalem. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us why John Mark left, but when Paul and Barnabas were discussing the, the second missionary journey a few chapters later, uh, the scripture tells us that they were divided. Paul and Barnabas had an argument about bringing John Mark along, and ultimately they, they parted ways because of that. Now, as Forrest Gump says, are you Forrest Gump fan? I am. As Forrest Gump said, that's all I've got to say about that. I'm a little, actually, I'm a little disheartened uh, when I read commentaries and I hear uh, so much talk and speculation about John Mark and the Apostle Paul. However, as I said, or as Forrest Gump said, that's all I've got to say about that. Anything more than what the Bible says is, is just speculation. And speculation and spreading information that may or may not be false, may or may not be true, and quite frankly isn't helpful, is actually something that's called gossip. We want to beware of gossip. All unstanti unstantiated facts that are not beneficial uh, is gossip. The Bible speaks of gossip as gossips, people that do this, as talebearers and scandal peddlers. I like that. Now, we don't know that, we do know that Paul ultimately tells the church in Colossae to welcome John Mark. That's out of Colossians chapter 4, verse 10. And that he had become a useful worker in the Lord. So this rift, whatever they had, was, was healed. So there's really no reason to go into exactly why the rift was there. You know, I, I've served in, in large churches and small churches, and, and from time to time, people in the church, including some people on staff and even the pastor, uh, will leave. Uh, they'll leave and, and, uh, and go to another church in maybe the same capacity or a different capacity, or, or maybe sometimes people decide just to take a break for a while. Um, and not serve in, in another church. And, and the issue is, is that we don't need to spend our time trying to discuss exactly why they left. We don't need to tell everybody that somebody has left. We need to pray for them. We wish them well and we stick to the mission that you're on yourself. Let's pay attention to what God has called you to do and don't speculate about anybody else. So. Uh, let's, let's take a look at the scripture today. We notice in verse 14, for example, that they departed from Perga, they traveled to Antioch and Pisidia, and then went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day. Now, according to the maps that I've consulted and taken a look at, um, I've read that while Perga was close to the Mediterranean, not too far of a journey, it's a considerable distance to get to Antioch and Pisidia. Uh, this Antioch and Pisidia, and the name Pisidia, by the way, is added because there's another 13 different uh, Antiochs in this period, this area of Asia Minor. It's a very popular name for, for a city. Uh, it's kind of like the name Washington. Uh, in the United States. Uh, did you know that there, there's over 88 different towns and, and I think all of our states of the, the United States, 88 different towns and cities that are called Washington. Now according to some accounts it was likely the proconsul Sergius Paulus that we spoke of last week 
who considered, who encouraged Paul and Barnabas to travel to Antioch and Pisidia. This Antioch was up in the mountains. It was at 4,000 feet and it was, a, it was a perilous journey to get through the gorge that traveled up to, to Antioch and Pisidia. Now we met Sergius Paulus earlier, earlier in this chapter. He was a very important convert to, to Christianity. He was appointed by the Roman Senate to be the governor in this entire area. So back to verse 14, it says that Paul and Barnabas went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day. And this was Paul's custom. We'll see this often in the, in the book of Acts. And there's two reasons. Uh, the first is, is the simple one. Paul was very comfortable in the synagogue. He was a, he was a learned scholar. He was a, a Pharisee. So he was very comfortable going to synagogues. But the second reason is probably the more important reason. In the synagogues, the custom was at the time, was it allowed people to actually stand up and teach. Paul was going to be able to teach about Jesus. Let's read on. Verse 15. And after the reading of the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent to them, saying, Men and brethren, if you have any word or of exhortation for the people, say on. Now, now saying, if any of you have any word of exhortation, say on, that's a, that's a cool way to allow somebody else in the congregation to, to stand up and speak. Now, Paul is ready to go. I mean, he was anticipating this, I'm sure, and, and what follows is actually Paul's first and his longest sermon. Uh, now, this is 12 to 15 years after Paul is converted, after he's, he's struck down on, on, the, on the road to Damascus. Um, and by this time, he's actually preached a number of times. This is the first time it's actually recorded. But Paul is ready to go, and, and he's quite good. In this verse, we see that the custom of the time was to allow learned men to be able to speak. Now, synagogues uh, were not temples. I remember when I was, uh, when I was younger, I, I, I didn't understand the difference between temples and synagogues. And actually, there's only one temple. Uh, that temple was in Jerusalem. It was the only place that animal sacrifices could be offered. It was the place where the priests were. Synagogues, however, could be in, in, in many cities. In fact, there could be many synagogues in any one city. It only took 10 men uh, to be able to form a synagogue. So even in small villages, as long as there were 10 men, uh, they, could, they could form a, a synagogue. Now, we're not sure exactly when um, synagogues started. Many scholars believe that it was after Solomon's temple in uh, Jerusalem was destroyed in the 6th century. However, they, they could have exist, existed before that. So let's go through this verse by verse and see what Paul has to say. And, 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 uh, and, and we'll be able to, 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 to uh, glean some of the things that Paul is teaching in order to help us understand exactly what a, a great sermon is, com uh, is com uh, composed of. Verse 16 says, Then Paul stood up and motioning with his hand said, Men of Israel, and you who fear God, listen. So we're going to see that Paul is actually speaking to, to two groups of men. One are the Hebrews, the people that, are, are, that speak to Hebrew, they're, they're Jewish, and they're in the synagogue. And the other one are those that fear God. This is another way of saying God fears. And, and we've spoken of this before. Now, God fears are people that embrace the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They, they embrace what the Jewish people are doing, but they're not yet true converts. They haven't gone all the way. And the primary reason they, they, they aren't fully converts is because there's a requirement in the Jewish religion for the men to be circumcised. And they haven't come to that part yet. Let's go on. Verse 16. 
the God of this people Israel chose our fathers and exalted the people when they dwelt as strangers in the land of Egypt and with an uplifted arm he brought them out of it the God of this people Israel chose our fathers and exalted the people when they dwelt as strangers in the land of Egypt and with an uplifted arm he brought them out of it now for a time of about 40 years he put up with their ways in the wilderness and when he had destroyed seven nations in the land of Canaan, he distributed their land to them by allotment. Paul is teaching uh, the history um, to people that understand the history of the Jewish people. He's starting with the patriarchs. He's going to mention the time in the wilderness, the time with Joshua, and then the conquest of, of Canaan. Uh, Paul's taking on them on this, this tour of history. He's getting them comfortable with his speaking. He's getting them comfortable with his knowledge of, of Jewish history. And he's doing this with the intention of connecting Jesus to the history of, of the Jews, of a natural outcome of what God had prophesied, what the prophets had talked about, uh, and what, the, what the, uh, their, their, their holy books, the scriptures, actually mentioned. Let's continue, verse 20. After that he gave them judges for about 450 years until Samuel the prophet. And afterward they asked for a king. So God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin for 40 years. And when he had removed him, he raised up David as king, to whom also he gave testimony and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, who will do all my will. From this man's seed, according to the promise, God raised up, an, up for Israel a Savior, Jesus. After John had first preached before his coming the baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel. And as John was finishing his course, he said, Who do you think I am? I am not he, but behold, there comes one after me, the sandals of whose feet I am not worthy to loose. Now, Paul makes this comment about the, what the scriptures say regarding King David. Um, it says, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, who will do all of my will. From this man's seed, according to the promise, God raised up for Israel a savior, Jesus. See, Paul was directly attaching the Messiah to David. Uh, the Messiah was to be of the lineage of David. Now, the Jewish people were anticipating a Messiah. It had been prophesied and was, was expected during the years, especially that the Greeks were, the Jews were back in the land under, first of all, the Greek uh, subjugation and then the Romans. They longed for a, a Messiah. Uh, it had been prophesied and they would, a Messiah would come that would redeem their land and reestablish the throne of David. Uh, let's go on, verse 26. Men and brethren, sons of the family of Abraham, in whose among you you fear God, to you the word of salvation has been sent. For those who dwell in Jerusalem and the rulers, because they did not know him, nor even the voices of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath, have fulfilled them in condemning him. And though they found no cause for death in him, they asked Pilate that he should be put to death. Now, when they had fulfilled all that was written concerning him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. Now, Paul references the, the family of Abraham and again mentions those who fear God. Again, he's reminding the people who he's speaking to, both the Hebrews as well as the, these Gentiles that fear God. And it's, he says that the word of salvation has been sent to you. 
However, the plot thickens and Paul tells them that those that, had, that were living in Jerusalem, that had the temple, that had the Pharisees and had the law and the scholars, uh, they didn't know the scriptures well enough. And as a result, they turned Jesus over to Pilate. Notice that, that Paul mentions in, in verse 29 that they took him down from a tree. And you'll see this occasionally in the scriptures. Instead of a, a cross or the Roman cross, it refers to the crucifixion site as, as being a tree. Well, I think that's because it's in fulfillment of the, the prophecy in, De in Deuteronomy 21, which says, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. Paul wanted to communicate the idea uh, that Jesus was taking our sin for us. He was the one that was being cursed in order to be able to bring salvation to everyone that believes in his name. Paul continues, uh, verse 30, But God raised him from the dead. He was seen for many days by those who came up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are his eyewitnesses. And we declare to you glad tidings, that promise which was made to the fathers. God has fulfilled this for us, their children, and that he has raised up Jesus. Now, now Paul is getting to the heart of his message. He's, he's wrapping things up. He's going to very quickly get to the point where people have a, a choice. He's attached Jesus to the prophecies and the promises that go all the way back to, to Abraham, the patriarch. He told them that John the Baptist, John the Baptist spoke of Jesus. Now, John the Baptist was actually quite famous at this time. John the Baptist had been preaching in the wilderness for over 20 years and he preached a baptism of repentance. He was there to prepare the people for the Messiah. And this was very exciting that there would be a prophet among them. After 400 years and there was no prophet, John the Baptist was on the scene and speaking to them uh, to repent and get ready for the Messiah. And Paul tells them that John the Baptist testified of Jesus. And now Paul simply adds, but God raised him from the dead, and Jesus was seen for many days by eyewitnesses. Now this is something that, that we know. It's, 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 it's the foundational truth of, of the Christian belief, that uh, Jesus died on the cross and he was raised from the dead. And this, this resurrection uh, of Jesus, however, is news. Uh, to these Jews and in these Gentiles that he's speaking to. The resurrection of Jesus is actually the very proof that he was the Messiah, that death uh, could not hold him. And as a result, this promise of forgiveness and, and fellowship with God and eternal life is a promise uh, to all of them as it is to us. Notice the style that, that Paul is preaching. I, I, wanna just, I don't want to distract, distract, detract from this, uh, this sermon of Paul's, but I do want to call your attention to the way that, that Paul is, is preaching. He's quoting scriptures. He's identifying the prophecies. And, and actually, in the last 10 verses, or last 14 verses, he's mentioned 10 different scriptures. He's quoted 10 different scriptures. Um, now, this is what's known as, as expository preaching. The, the word expository comes from the same word that we have for expose. Expository preaching uh, takes a passage of scripture and, it, and then the, the speaker um, presents the, the context and the actual meaning. He gives sufficient commentary to make sure that the hearer understands the true meaning of the scripture. 
we need more expository preaching. We, we really do. I, I, I love listening to, to, uh, to, to preachers. I, I love listening to a, to a number of different teachers, and, and there's a lot of them that are very good. But we need expository preaching, this type of preaching that uses the scripture as the, as the main text. And the reason is, is because it, it provides clarification. It also protects us against heresy. It protects us against false teaching. Paul continues now in verse 33 by quoting Psalm 2. Um, as it is also written in the second Psalm, you are my son, today I have begotten you. And that he raised him from the dead, no more to return to corruption. He thus has thus spoken, I will give you the same mercy, the sure mercies of David. Therefore, he also says in another Psalm, you will not allow your Holy One to see corruption. For David, after he had served his own generation by the will of God, fell asleep, was buried with his fathers and saw corruption. But he whom God raised up saw no corruption. You see here again, Paul is quoting scriptures. In the first two verses, he quotes two different Psalms. Um, when we get to the end of Paul's sermon, which we will in just a minute, I want you to notice the response. And it will be an important lesson as well for us on how we're supposed to teach, how we preach, and how disciples are made, how the kingdom of God actually increases. Now, in these verses, Paul is making the case for the need of a Messiah, and not only to die, but also to be raised from the dead. These verses that Paul is using are, are good examples also of how difficult it can be sometimes to truly interpret uh, prophecy. And you see, this is the thing, is that few, if any, uh, of the scholars, even the scholars that were carefully anticipating the Messiah, and maybe even embraced Jesus as the Messiah, Few of them, if any, understood that the Messiah needed to die and rise again in order to fulfill the scriptures. Paul is giving us the scriptures that foretold all of this, and he's providing the commentary. However, Paul has the benefit of, of history. He's, he's looking at what's happened in the rearview mirror. Um, he knows what happens. He also has the Spirit of God, and the Bible clearly tells us also that he received an instruction directly from Jesus. Now, for, for the rest of us, uh, looking at prophecy and trying to determine exactly how prophecy that has not yet been fulfilled will be fulfilled uh, can be frustrating. Nevertheless, in Psalm 19.7, it says, The instructions of the Lord are, are perfect, reviving the soul. The decrees of the Lord are, are trustworthy, making wise the simple. You see, it's important for us not to abandon prophecy just because it's a little bit difficult to understand. We need to listen to people that have studied, that have, have understood this, and then providing commentary uh, to the scriptures so that we understand exactly how they may be fulfilled. Paul's wrapping up his sermon and providing those that are hearing this an opportunity to respond. Uh, verse 38, Therefore, let it be known to you, brothers, that through this man, though this man has preached to you the forgiveness of sins, and by him everyone who believes is justified from all things from which you could not be justified by the laws of Moses. Now, Paul is making a claim, and to these hearers, this is the first time they've heard it, it's an amazing claim. He's telling them not only that in Jesus we have the forgiveness of sins, but he's also telling them and reminding them that the law of Moses could not. Uh, the Mo law of Moses actually fell short. He's telling them not only that Jesus is able, 
but that Moses is unable. He's showing them that by the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, we can be forgiven, we can be justified, um, but the law of Moses cannot do this. In other words, Christ is totally sufficient, while the law of Moses is actually insufficient. Paul's not yet mentioned the word grace, but he would go on and develop this teaching on the, on the grace of God. Based on the timeline for of which, when this occurred, um, in Antioch at Pasiada, we do know from the writings of Paul that within probably the next year, maybe a little over a year from now, Paul is going to be writing to the Ephesians. And Paul says this about grace. He says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourself, it's the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. And that's Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. So Paul concludes his sermon today with a warning, and that's found in verse 40. He says, Beware, therefore, lest what has been spoken in the prophets come upon you. Behold, you despisers, marvel and perish, for I, oh, I work a work in your days, a work which you will by no means believe, though one was to declare it to you. And see, I think this is kind of key too. Every, every good sermon probably includes both good news as, as well as bad news. There's a downside here. And just as Paul says, just as the religious leaders rejected Jesus Christ, uh, be careful, because as you're hearing this as well, you have the, the same opportunity, the same opportunity to either respond in the affirmative or, or to reject Jesus. So often we, we hear this message. Many of you possibly have heard this message many times, and every time you hear this message of salvation, there's an opportunity to respond. A choice that you have. You can choose to either to believe or not believe. Paul references the, the prophet Habakkuk um, when he says that after Jesus Christ finished his work, there were despisers that both marvel as well as perish. This reminds me of the response we see in the, in the book of Revelation. I'm teaching through prophecy on Wednesdays. And as we teach in prophecy, we come across some scriptures that, again, we just, we just marvel at. You see, during the seven years of tribulation, it's very, very clear to the people that dwell on the earth. That's the, the term that's used. The people that dwell on the earth, uh, that, that God is, is bringing these judgments. And there's an offer of forgiveness. There's an offer of salvation that's available by embracing who Jesus is and the, the promises of redemption. However, in... in uh, in Revelation it says, and they did not repent of their murders, their witchcraft, or their sexual immorality, and their thefts. Like I said, it's, now would be a good time to understand that there's a, a response. And Paul is looking for a response from those that are in the synagogue that would be listening to this, to this sermon by Paul. Let's continue, verse 42. So when the Jews went out of the synagogue, the Gentiles begged them that these words might be preached to them the next Sabbath. Now when the congregation had broken up, many of the Jews and devout proselytes followed Paul and Barnabas, who, speaking to them, persuaded them to continue in the grace of God. On the next Sabbath day, this is verse 44, almost the whole city came together to hear the word of God. But when the Jews saw the multitudes, they were filled with envy, and contradicting and blaspheming, they opposed the things spoken of by Paul. So here we see that the the gospel, the sermon that, 
that Paul preached had its intended effect. Both Jews and Gentiles came out and wanted to hear more, and Paul encouraged them. He said, I want you to continue in the, in the grace of God. Now, the Gentiles in particular are, are begging Paul for more. And we realize, especially with the next verse, that it's the Gentiles that are embracing Jesus as the Messiah, as their Savior, while the Jews, the Jews are not. And that's so unfortunate because Paul was encouraging both. He said that he was persuading them to continue in the grace of God. Now, here's the, here's the word grace, and it's the very first time we see it here uh, with response to this sermon. It's the first time it's recorded in this chapter. Uh, no doubt it will be key in Paul's explanation and encouragement as he's encouraging them to continue in this, in this grace of God. Luke tells us that the Gentiles were more receptive than the Jews. Uh, I intentionally included verses 44 and 45, and even though we're going to pick it up again there uh, next week as we go into this next section. It says that while, the, while nearly the whole city came to hear Paul and Barnabas teach the very next week, they were very receptive, the Jewish people, likely beginning with the Jewish leaders, the Pharisees, um, had been deceived. And they started to believe that this was, this was not true. And they became envious. It says the Jews were envious. They were probably envious of two things. They were envious that Paul and Barnabas uh, were so well accepted and so well accepted in, the, in, this, in, this, in this synagogue, even though they were brand new. And actually, they were envious that these Gentiles, and remember the Gentile believers, these, these people that, were, that feared God, that weren't yet full Jews, um, were actually second-class citizens in the, in the synagogue. They weren't allowed to fully participate because they had not been circumcised. But these, these second-class citizens were embracing the Jewish Messiah. And, and Paul had told them that the Messiah was, was greater uh, than Moses, that, that the, the, the gospel of Jesus was actually greater than everything that they had heard in the, in the, in the, in the Torah. And, and this is what we, we should expect. You know, our job is to be able to communicate the gospel as, as clearly as we possibly can to as many people as we possibly can. Uh, we want to be able to deliver the word of God so that, that they are enabled and they can hear and they can receive. At the same time, it's not our job to, to convince. That's the, that's the job of the Holy Spirit. It's the work of the Holy Spirit. Just like these, these Jews heard the word of God but were not convinced, uh, they hardened their, their hearts. And that's unfortunate. But it's a good reminder to us that sometimes we'll, we'll have acceptance and sometimes people will reject the message that we have. Nevertheless, we preach the gospel. We provide context, we provide meaning, we encourage and we warn, but each individual is responsible for how they respond. They're ultimately responsible. Every one of us has to either embrace what we hear, embrace the gospel, and accept the free gift that Jesus Christ offers, or we walk away, we turn our back, we harden our hearts. Every time you hear the gospel, you have that option as well. If you've not yet embraced uh, this offer of forgiveness, today would be a, a great day for that. The writer of the book of Hebrews says this, he says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart as they did in the days of the rebellion. Let's pray. Father God, we want to thank you, Lord, for this uh, opportunity to be able to talk about Paul.
You've been listening to Faith Dialogue with Pastor Ken Baer, recorded live at Celebrate Seniors, a ministry of Faith Dialogue. You can listen to or watch all of the recordings at Faith Dialogue by going to www.faithdialogue.org.